We open the word this morning to Psalm 120, Psalm 120, reading Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 120. Do hope that you have your Bibles open with us. Uh, to Psalm 120, we're going to spend uh, a good deal of time in there together. I'd love it if you'd follow along. Before we uh, begin to look at the scripture and introduce a new sermon series together, I want to take a moment to pray and uh, thank God for his word, but also thank God for his work in our midst at uh, Cross Point Coast Cape Canaveral, and uh, just thank God uh, for his provision for the proclamation of the gospel in Cape Canaveral. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have given us your word. You've given us the truth. You've given us a, a gospel that is good news. We, we feel it. We know it. We received it. We're beneficiaries of your grace. And you have given us this gospel as a word to be shared. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've multiplied the, the planting ministry that Joel Fair and the partners who are with him would labor in the planting of the gospel in the prayer that you, Lord, would grow up your church. Lord, we trust that that would take place today that your word would be planted in us through Psalm 120 and the whole of the Psalms of Ascent as we recall and place them in the context of the whole of your word, that you would plant in us your good news and that it would bear fruit in us by the power of your spirit to apply it to our lives, to bring transformation, bring us to see and savor our God. Lord, we thank you for this. We trust you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. We are entering into a new sermon series entitled Songs of Ascent, a study through Psalms 120 through 134. I want to begin with really an extended introduction to this, uh, this season that we're going to spend the next many weeks in together. And then I want to actually turn to those scriptures together and uh, pay attention to Psalm 120 specifically this morning, and then consider uh, what is, uh, where is Christ? Where can we see Christ and his gospel at work in the midst of this psalm and the psalms that follow? I tell you, growing up, I never left home, like literally never left home. I was born in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, home of the Hoosiers, and that's a big deal. Um, 
I noticed that Joel threw the word baseball in there because uh, he just always has to say the word baseball. It's basketball is the real sport. Keep trying to let him know that. Uh, born in Bloomington, Indiana, proud of the Hoosiers. At three years old, I moved two and a half hours south of Bloomington, Indiana to Evansville, Indiana on the Ohio River there. And my family, I don't know what your families are like, if this is your experience or not, um, but our family didn't travel like at all. Like we didn't take vacations. We didn't leave the state. Even though we lived in the tri-state area, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, we didn't leave. Our idea of a big trip was to make our way 20 minutes out of town and then another 15 minutes down a gravel road to Tecumseh Lake and we would settle in for the next eight hours in our solo canoes, fly fishing, and Occasionally, we'd get to eat a box of Oreos if there was a big thunderstorm. We'd put a poncho up over ourselves and grab the milk and Oreos that we carted into Tecumseh Lake and sit there and eat an entire box of Oreos. My brother, my dad, and I would each claim a row, all right? That was our idea of a big trip. And the further you get down that gravel road, the more it feels like a big trip. That's about as far away from home as I ever got. In fact... I didn't even know until my late teen years that I was only about two and a half hours away from the St. Louis Arches. And I, I, it was only a couple years ago on a road trip that uh, my family was making up north that I realized that I grew up just two hours away from Nashville, Tennessee. I had no idea. I thought Nashville was in some far off land of country music and CCM. I had no idea. I, I never left home growing up, not until I did finally leave home. And since then, honestly, I've very seldom been back. Ever since I left, I've really come to know two things. Perhaps some of you have this experience. The first thing that I've come to know since leaving home is I don't belong anywhere else. I don't belong at the expensive private Christian university that was really my first venture away from my hometown. I don't belong at Taylor University. I don't belong in the city of Chicago, which was our next adventure with a bunch of academics and seminary. I don't, I don't belong there. I don't belong in a beautiful, tight-knit community of Sheboygan County, Wisconsin. Beautiful, friendly, but it's not my home. And honestly, as our next big adventure down here to Florida. I don't belong in Brevard County or Vieira with its manicured lawns and HOAs. I, I don't really belong here. It's not home. But when I return home to Evansville, Indiana, I realize a second thing. Some of you may know this as well. You have returned home after many years. I don't belong there either. It's an emotional thing, if you know what I'm talking about. To, to be gone and be looking for home, finally go home and realize, maybe there's no home anymore. I say this with humility because I realize that, that this is a metaphor for me, but I feel like a refugee of sorts. I feel displaced and I feel like I'm looking for a land to call home. 
Now, recently, I read a book, a beautiful book, a book called On the Road with St. Augustine. The book is by James K.A. Smith. In that book, he suggests something about the Christian life that moved me as I read it on my front porch in the deepest part of my soul. He suggested something about the Christian life that truly moved me. You've heard that the Christian life is like a pilgrim's progress, right? Perhaps heard that before, but James K.A. Smith notes two things about our journey. As John Bunyan says, uh, he gets the story right that the, the pilgrim's journey has a glorious, eternal city sort of end. He's right about that pilgrimage. But unlike pilgrim who leaves his city, the city of destruction, to embark on this journey, so few of us uh, ever actually leave anywhere. We live out our days right here. We never really leave. Even though I, I haven't felt at home since I left home, really each of the places that I've been have been about the same. It seems that I've just been displaced from this world altogether. We'll get to what that means in just a moment. The gospel encounters us, disrupts us. Right in the middle of our own city, in our hometown, we suddenly realize this isn't home anymore. There is another place to live, and it's not here. You live here. Your home is here. Your family's here. Your job is here. Your friends are here, but this isn't home anymore. And if you happen to have left your hometown behind, as so many of you who live in Florida have done, you realize you've just traded one land of trials for another. It would seem that in this world, the biblical author is right. There is no lasting city. There is no enduring peace or rest. In this year, 2020, you've heard that said over and over, right? In this year of so much suffering, trial, bitterness, of increasingly rampant lies and violence, I've often found myself humming a traditional spiritual deep river. And I'll warn you, I've never read this or sung it and not gotten emotional, all right? This year particularly, deep river. My home is over Jordan. Deep river. Lord, I want to cross over into campground. Oh, don't you want to go to that gospel feast, that promised land where all is peace? Walk into heaven, take my seat, cast my crown at Jesus' feet. Deep river. My home is over Jordan. Deep river, Lord. I want to cross over into camp ground. Friends, I think these words, particularly in the last months, almost every time we take communion, and I end our time with these words, Lord, come quickly. We could break out into song at that moment. But here's the thing. I've never been there. 
I've never been over Jordan. I've never crossed the deep river. But I believe, I believe my home is over there. But I've never even been home before. You see, what what does this mean for a people who live in this land, who live in this place? What is my identity here if my home is across the Jordan in that planned, in that land of peace where my king dwells? What does that mean for us? What is my identity here? Pilgrim? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I am on a journey to another place. That would make me a pilgrim. But we also realized a number of years ago when we studied that book, First Peter, that we are also not only pilgrims, but exiles. So the question is, what What do you call a pilgrim on his journey who is also an exile from his homeland? He's on a journey, but he's not on a holiday, and he can never return home once he gets there. Who is that person? That's a refugee. That's the word that James K.A. Smith used that so moved me. There's a sense that a pilgrim could return home, but a refugee is never going home again. A refugee is in search of a new home, some other land and people to take him in. I want to read an extended quote from James Smith's book. Imagine a refugee spirituality. Imagine with me. An understanding of human longing and estrangement that not only honors those experiences of not-at-homeness, but also affirms the hope of finding a home. The immigrant is migrating toward a home she's never been to before. She will arrive in a strange land and in a way that surprises her, come to say, I'm at home here, not least because someone is there to greet her and say, Welcome home. The goal isn't returning home, but being welcomed home into a place you weren't born, arriving in a strange land and being told, you belong here. Brothers and sisters, this is the refugee journey of faith, and its conclusion is the welcoming arms of a heavenly Father. Welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Master. I don't care what happens. Until I hear those words, I won't be home. Redemption is a story of movement. The great event of salvation in the Old Testament is called what? The Exodus. It's a leaving. It's an entrance into a journey. It was literally an abandonment, more accurately, a fleeing of all that those saints in Egypt had ever known as home. Don't forget that. When we talk about the Exodus and we get excited because they get to leave, Egypt was home that they left. 
They fled their homes. Isn't this what it's like to become a follower of Jesus Christ? It's to think one moment that though life is difficult, I may find some way to make it through it. And then the next moment, having seen both the evil around you and the sin inside you, you abandon all hope of finding rest in this world and you cry out, God, rescue me. Bring an exodus. I must flee. That's the exodus. It's a rescue. But it's a rescue that comes in the form of leaving all hope of former home and former way of life and former rescues and former ideas of peace or prosperity or rest behind to enter into the way of the Lord and his promise of rest. This was the struggle of the first saints in the wilderness who so often, so Foolishly, when the road became hard, thought they could just turn around and return to Egypt as if Egypt was still home at all. So remember, they left home. Okay? And I want you to just take a second, and, and like I said, I'm inviting you to imagine, remember the situation of the Exodus. We can celebrate it. We can remember the Passover. We can recount the story. But let's remember that in that story of hope and rescue is also the story of lament and loss of something that was before. For that reason, that, that loss, that suffering rose up in the hearts of the people in the wilderness often so that on the road, when the road became hard, they thought Let's just return home. Let's just go home as if there was any home to return to. Honestly, Sandy and I have said that, right? There's been a number of times where the road has gotten too hard. This Florida's not home. Sandy's North Woods. I'm Midwest, right? And we thought to ourselves, maybe we could just go home. But friends, Egypt is a myth if we think of it as home. There's no home to go back to. We've entered on a new road. It's a road that's marked out by the gospel. It's a road that includes a mission. All right, <laughs> we're back to the Israelites. They're in the wilderness, all right? <laughs> After this brief commercial break, um, they have, <laughs> while they know about the promised land, they've heard of it, their fathers, 400 years ago, came from there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But the people in the wilderness who had just left their home had never been to that promised land. It reminds me of, that, of the song, right? My home is over Jordan. I've never been home. But there's someone who came from home and brought word of that promised land. So with the exodus, the people became, can you hear me okay? The people became a people on the move. This is where I want us to go. The gospel is a story in the New Testament that picks up the same theme, the reality of a people on the move. Jesus himself made his way up to Jerusalem. If you pay attention to the 
gospel story. Jesus set his eyes to Jerusalem, and he made a festival journey. We're going to come to Psalm 120 in just a second, I promise. Upon arrival in Jerusalem, he journeyed up a hill to a cross. Being crucified, he made his body made a journey from the cross to a grave, and it lay there for a long Saturday. And then, upon his triumphant and glorious resurrection, he made an ascent to the heavenly places. The gospel story itself is a story of movement. It's a story of redemption, just like the story of the Exodus. A story of a people who, by God's intervention, have become a people on a journey. The story of redemption, just like the story of the Exodus, is a people on a journey, but the journey has taken God's redeemed people. If you pay attention to Jesus, at, at just before he attend, ascends, he tells the disciples that their journey is going to begin, and it's a journey that goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it sounds like at this point that the journey of faith is a journey that's bringing us to the ends of the earth. That's where we're going, right? That's where home is gonna be when the gospel finally gets to the ends of the earth. But the ends of the earth, friends, are not our final destination. It's here at the ends of the earth that we find a mission. And the mission is this. It's a mission of finding our lost brothers and sisters. We bring news of the gospel. We bring news of rescue. We are not home. We really are a people who are discovering a road, a refugee road that brings us to a home we've never been to before. Now, as God's redeemed people, in these places to which he's dispersed us, we become, bro we become brothers and sisters with these new people who have joined us on the journey and join us in a mission and our older brother Jesus, this is absolutely key for us, for our perseverance in this journey, Jesus has brought news of the promised land. We have an older brother who has been there, and he tells us he's gone there again to prepare a place for his people. Friends, we have news of the promised land, a home. and We are being brought there as his redeemed people. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Many people have tried quite convincingly to tell us that life is a journey, that the beauty is in the journey, that the road is life. You've heard it before, right? You probably have a few songs, highway songs going on in your mind, typically 70s songs going on in your mind about how life is a journey. Some even suggest that the whole point of the Christian faith is a journey. But friends, that can't be. The Christian faith is not, the whole of the Christian faith is not a journey. It's the point of Christianity that there is a transcendent and final hope and rest. Christianity is, includes a journey includes news of, of a king who came and dwelt among us. And, but the goal of our faith is rest, home. Our journey has an end, 
The story of redemption is a story with a final chapter. It's a story of movement, but the hope of the redeemed is a story of rest. Now, we opened with Psalm 120. We should probably pay attention to it now for just a few moments together, right? This morning we begin this series of 15 chapters in the Psalms. The Psalms became the songs that were, these Psalms, these 15 Psalms, known as the Psalms of Ascent, became known as the songs that were sung by the people of God as they made their way to three annual festivals in Jerusalem. They made their way up to Jerusalem, the geographic high point in the region, and they sang these psalms of ascent. More than that, though, the songs became not only journey songs on the way to Jerusalem, they became songs of a people as we make our approach to God, the Lord, even more than the city, is the end of the journey. Sure, these pilgrims would celebrate the feast in Jerusalem, and then they would eventually return home. But the threefold repeated pattern of festivals were a constant reminder that even when they returned home, that land wasn't really home. Their true home, their true hope, was the presence of the Lord gathered in his holy temple. The festivals, their pilgrimages, are a constant call to the Lord to gather in his name to the rescue and peace of his presence. What is our journey's end? It's not a land. It's not a city. It's the Lord and wherever he dwells. The Psalms of Ascent are a sort of road tune for the journey. Our Lord has called us out and made us a people, but even as we sing these songs of deliverance and help and laughter and humility, we have our eyes trained off in the distance as we sing these songs, as we expect our journey's end. We long for peace and presence. We've set out on the road to see our God. We hear news of a city with streets of gold and a sea like glass. We've never been there before, but we'll know we get there when we see our Savior's face. I want us to hold that in us as we look at each one of these psalms together. The goal of our journey is to see our Savior. As we look at Psalm 120, we're going to work very quickly through this psalm. The first thing that we see in verse 1 in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. The first reality that we see in this psalm is the reality of distress. One of the most enduring realities of all the saints that have gone before us is distress. It's a repeated and enduring and often experienced reality, the reality of the refugee community that are the saints is a reality of distress and your constant state, anxiety, enmity, Need? When, when I hear the word distress, I, I think of catching my breath. I often feel this myself in my own anxiety. Sandy will hear me. I'll be standing in the kitchen, and she'll hear me just go. I didn't run down the stairs. I wasn't really doing anything. I probably was sitting on the couch. And she'll hear me do that. And she knows that that's not the breath of exertion. That's distress. 
That's, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to just, you just can't get enough air. Distress. Jeremiah 4.31 gives us a beautiful image of this distress. Beautiful, tragic, anguish-filled. Jeremiah 4.31. For I heard a cry as a woman in labor, anguish as of one giving birth to her first child. The cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands. Woe is me, I am fainting before murderers. Can you hear the anguish? It's the same word for distress, gasping for breath. Distress. How often as a people who are no longer at home in this world do we feel distressed? Martin Luther contrasts what we often experience, which is the trial of torment or suffering, with what we see here in our passage, which is the distress or trial or anxiety of the tongue. Look at verse two. Deliver me, O Lord, from what? Well, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Let's remember, as we hear, and perhaps even recall and reflect, times that you yourself have been slandered, the times that the, the tongue has come across your path and has inflicted a wound upon you. Let us remember that Jesus also was lied about. He was falsely accused. Is there anyone in history who has been more greatly slandered than Jesus? How often is his name to this day dragged through the mud? How often is his name crassly used like refuse? But those not on the journey of faith will never understand the pilgrimage of the refugee. Hear that. The only way to make the story of the redeemed make sense among the people who have attempted to make themselves comfortable in this world that is passing away is to lie, is to slander, is to make up stories. This happened almost immediately in Rome for the early church. Because of the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the people in the community called the Christians cannibals. They eat blood and flesh. They were called atheists because they refused to bow down to idols or worship Caesar as a god. Those who are home in this world can't understand the experience of those who see our lives here as a brief sojourn to a foreign land. And so slanderers are sure to come. In fact, our efforts not to live according to the ways of the world, because the ways of the world are not home. We want to live according to the ways of home. We are being reinculturated to our home. Because of that effort, we are often received by the people of the land, literally our neighbors, as an affront to the world's culture to this society and its way of life. And so at times there are slander and lies by those who do not understand what it is to long for the way of the Father. Friends, hear this. To enter onto the way of the Father, to long for his welcome home, is to enter into a way of distress. And that's why so quickly the psalm speaks of a prayer 
for deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord, the psalmist cries. Calvin, John Calvin says this. Men, it is true, have need of God in every moment. It's true, every moment. But there is not a more suitable season for seeking him than when some great danger is immediately menacing us. It is therefore worthy of notice that he was heard that he was heard when constrained and shut up by tribulation he betook himself to the protection of God. When we are constrained and shut up by tribulation this is an appropriate time to take ourselves to the protection of God. He says, I called to the Lord. Have you learned to bring your distress to the Lord? Do you cry out to the Lord? Do you pray for deliverance? Friends, the Psalms are a gracious invitation to pray. I found that often my prayers for deliverance are also my most honest prayers. Very little pretension, just need. And that's actually what we see happen in our passage as we move on to the next two verses. In verses three and four, he's very honest. What shall be given to you? Speaking to the liar. What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongues? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. <laughs> That's his daydream. In his distress, as he's crying out for, to the Lord for deliverance, his mind begins to wander, and he begins to remember the Lord's judgment and coals like a broom tree. He's honest. He's very honest. There's not a lot of pretension in this prayer for rescue. The psalmist calls something to mind, and it begins to bring him comfort. He remembers the judgment of the Lord against all deceit. Friends, it's true. What defense can be made against the trial of the tongue? The rescue of the Lord's own judgment. He may, may he not find us guilty. May he find the liars guilty and rescue by bringing them judgment, the psalmist says. Now, we aren't the judges of the truth. Neither are liars. Just because we say it, that doesn't make it so. Just because the liar speaks, it doesn't make it true. There is a judge in the heavenly places. His words have the power to create, and his words have the power to measure out reality. And he'll find out the liar. He'll find out the lie. The psalmist takes refuge and hope. He grounds his prayer for deliverance in the reality of the Lord's truth and justice. Friends, I want you to apply it this way. I want you to consider this. The psalm is such, this psalmist is such a model for prayer in distress. He grounds his prayer for rescue in the reality of the character of God. In our distress, the first labor of our mind and heart should be to remember who is God? Who is God? Don't recount the distress. Do quickly and run quickly. Who is God? And he remembered here, God is judge. I'm gonna cry out to you on the, that basis. Well, here's what's beautiful. The psalmists, again, are so real. Look at verse five. 
Woe to me. Woe, curse it be me. I journey in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. There's more to be realized about judgment. As he begins to remember who God is, he remembers that not only is the liar under curse, but he himself dwells in their land, and we should ask ourselves, how much have I participated in the ways and the culture and the, way, the social ways of being with the people under God's judgment. I just prayed for God's judgment on them. We would do well to ask ourselves, in what ways have we participated with them? We who claim to have a different home. Too long. This is where I live. Too long. We're sojourners in a land that is far off. Meshech, far to the north of Israel. Kedar, far to the south of Israel. Ancient enemies. He's dwelt among those who hate peace, verse 6. This is where we live. You watch the news for five minutes, friends. We dwell in the midst of a people who hate peace. It's not new. I remember when it began to become popular for what used to be called talk shows where people would, you know, talk. They became shows where people would yell. And then they literally became, the most popular of those shows became shows where people would stand up and throw actual chairs at each other. Actually, for real. And we liked it. Why? We're in a land that hates peace. This is us. I often wonder how long can we dwell in this land? How long can we maintain any sort of integrity or peace in a land that so rejects truth and hates peace? I find it increasingly difficult year after year to even discover how to be faithful in a land that so celebrates lies and evil. And let me tell you, friends, one of the things to do is to remember the judgment of God. That we remember that the Lord abhors lies, and the Lord loves peace. For that reason, the psalmist ends this way. I am for peace, he says. With all that is true in this psalm, the distress of the psalmist, the lies of the people of the land, the aim of the psalmist remains peace, rest, shalom. And with one more cry out to the Lord, he laments that the people of the land are for war. It's as though they've settled into the well-worn-out rut of factions and scheming and lies and violence. And he reaffirms a love for the way of God and his way of peace. Now, I want you to see Jesus. In the garden, he called out to the Lord, in his distress to the Father. He was assaulted by lying lips on that day who were thirsty for violence. If anyone knows the reality of impending judgment, it's Jesus, and he knows what it is to cry out in his distress. He is the judge of the living and the dead, and yet he is also the one who received the justice of God in the place of all who would place their faith in him. He calls to mind justice. Father lays it out on him who was just. 
Jesus himself received every arrow of the judgment of God upon sin, and every of the brightest coals fell upon Jesus. Surely Jesus knows what it is to dwell in the land of sinners. He's the one who came from heaven itself. He's the only one who's been there, and he dwelt among us. Apart from Adam and Eve, he's the only one who began their journey from a position of peace and rest. He was for peace, and those who received him, that's you and I, were for war. John 1, 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, and his own people did not receive him. It is because the Lord has walked that journey from paradise through the cross and resurrection and again to glory that we can enter into that story by faith, be transferred from a story of judgment and violence into a story of faith, forgiveness that has as its end peace. We can cry out to the Lord in our distress We can know that he hears, not only that he delivers us from lying lips, but that he has received the just punishment for our lying lips. Surely in Christ we have been thoroughly redeemed. Redeemed not only from the sin around us, but from the sin that is in us. How easily it would be to think of the journey as a journey that is through the evils around us. But when we look around at the camp of the refugees on this journey, we realize These people, I, we need saved. Thank God for his rescue. Friends, during the course of this series of the Psalm of Ascent, my hope is this, that the Lord would give you and I a new songbook, a new tune. I pray that we would have a new tune for our hearts for the journey. What grace that the songs don't begin with a triumphalist tune. They don't begin with a triumphant, loud rock anthem. They begin with the reality of the beginning of our journey. And so much of the experience of our journey, they begin with distress. God is smarter than we are, and his gospel is more true than anything we've dreamed. He looks at reality in the face. And he gives us a song. The Lord is so kind in the Psalms to give us songs that tune in with reality. It's grace that the Psalm begins in distress. Let the Psalm sound a note for us. May may the Psalms begin to tune us to sing in the same key together. So quickly the Psalmist cries out to the Lord, deliver me. And our response in the song is to pray, deliver us. Heavenly Father, we pray that these psalms would literally become our tunes, that you would help us to discover they exist, help us discover tunes to sing. But more than that, may their their anthem Give us words for this journey that by grace you have placed all in this room who trust in your name upon. We long for home. Bring us home. Use these psalms to give us a song to sing, to tune us 
together on this journey of faith until its end. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, amen.